Welcome to episode 27 of the Horror Dads podcast. I'm Jamie, joined by John, and we are also joined by award-winning graphic artist Anthony Petri. What's up, buddy? How are you? Thanks for getting the name right. I appreciate it. It was, it was, uh, take it was dodgy 20, there. Take 24. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. Well, thanks for joining us, man. This is going to be great. Um, you know, we've flirted with a couple different formats, but we're we're having Anthony join us on our standard intro stuff. So we're just going to roll through what we've been uh, watching, wearing, doing, some family stuff, and then we'll uh, ask Anthony a bunch of questions about his amazing uh, graphic design work, and then we'll get into Anthony's films. But what is the topic that we're going to discuss today, Jamie? With so we're Anthony. doing modern horror? Yeah, we're doing the new wave horror. We're doing the... The, I guess the new kids on the block. So this is something that we really don't explore too much on this podcast. Jamie and I are curmudgeons that hang out in our basements and don't like the sunlight, and we watch the same films over and over and over again. So it's great talking to people like Anthony that um, bring us back to reality. Yeah, break us out of our shell a little bit. Yeah. So and, uh, thank you for doing that. Sure. And if, if you don't mind, I'm going to take the honor here and be the first to congratulate you on your year anniversary show, and I'm honored to be on it. Oh, look at you. Yeah, dude. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Actually, we probably would have forgot because we, <laughs> yeah. we just talked about it. <laughs> we do that all the time. But yeah, this is episode 27, and this is our, uh, it's January 22nd right now, and we released our very first episode on January 24th, 2020, before the world uh, ended a couple months later. Um, I remember I was sitting in a, a hotel lobby in in Arizona for work Uh one very early morning and published that first episode we had a great response and here we are a year later interviewing people that we never thought we'd have the honor to talk to so yeah when we uh when we first started this we had no intention of interviewing anyone we really didn't even know what this was going to be uh just like i I remember just kind of staring at john like all right so what do we do here we just talk about our shit or (laughs) and uh and then through work somehow john got in touch with um you know our first guest and Jay Bonansenga, who's uh, the author of the Walking Dead novels, and here we are, a year later, interviewing Anthony Petri. Yep. So well, thank you so much for for having me again. Oh, dude, this is great. So we got in touch with you through the uh, Jason Takes Manhattan vinyl. Yes. Um, John shouted you out on Instagram, and we started chatting, and here we are. And my wife, by the way, looked at me explicitly and said. Do not. It was as if I would like was getting ready to go to prom, and she was giving me a talk beforehand. She looks at me. She goes, "Do not slide into that man's DM." She said. She's been giving you a lot yeah. of heat about going into going into people's DMs, and I was like, "I'm just telling him I really like his stuff." And she was like, "That's like a sexual advancement. Someone doesn't want. Leave him alone." How else are you supposed to get in touch with anyone, though? Yeah. Well. I think in her mind, uh, people flock to us like seagulls, but the reality is that happens on occasion. Um, but uh, to get to get some really some really high class talent such as yourself, you got to slide into some DMs. Yeah, what does she I think? People are just shooting us emails and stuff. Thinks, if that's what she thinks DMs are for, I think you need to start checking her DMs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, good. Good point. She watches too much Real Housewives. Yeah. We're gonna do a. We're actually doing a uh, for Mother's Day. We're gonna do. We're gonna bring our wives on. So, 
Uh, oh. Maybe the first segment is what we're going to have. Um, Checking our wives' DMs. We're going to read all all DMs aloud. <laughs> okay, yeah. Then, the, then, then after that's the divorce episode, I take it? Yeah, yes. Exactly, yep. Where John, John and I get married. Yeah. A horror. Um, yeah, we'll just leave it there. All right. <laughs> all right, so let's jump into what we've been watching, fellas. So, Jamie, why don't you start? All right, so um, we just did an episode last week where I had been watching a lot of stuff. Because it had been a while. This has only been a week. I have really not watched anything except the movies on our list and X Files. Um, Where pretty, are you in the X Files? So I'm. I'm at. It's funny you ask. I'm actually right on. I'm in the middle of Clyde Bruckman's final repose. <sighs> Fuck. Which is an amazing fucking episode. It's so. And you know what's good. funny is the bad guy in that movie, or in that episode. Ooh, do you know ooh, what movie he's ooh. from? Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Part Two. Yep. He's our boy. Yeah. Ned. Ned. Ted. Yeah. Ned. Ted. Ned. Ned, Ted? <laughs> it's Ned because Ted. We Teddy's always do in the this. first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Ned's in the second. Yeah, yep. but uh, yeah. Well, I think we mentioned that on our very first episode. Uh, oh, we did. I, I mean, I talk about that man yeah, all yeah, the time yeah. for some reason. Slide well, into his DM. Well, anyways, yep. But that's the episode <laughs> that I'm on. Um, and so you know how that—that's the third season. Yes. Yeah. And so, I think when we talked last time, I had just started. Like in a week, I've like I've gone through. I'm on the third season now, and dude, <sighs> that show's so good. It's just so Oh, good. man. Do you watch the X-Files, Anthony? Unfortunately, I do not watch the X-Files. Um, it's one of those things that um, I need to get on, like that other show that I never watched that I'm now going to get absolutely roasted for, the Laura Palmer show. What is that? Twin Peaks? Oh, Twin oh, yeah. Peaks. Oof. I've never seen either of them. I know that they're classic shows. I know that I need to watch them. It's just like there's so much new stuff that I need to get through Yeah, that like going that. back to old stuff, especially when sure. they don't have that sprinkled coating of nostalgia all over them for me, it's it's a little difficult. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how he's heading us off too, John. How he's <laughs> yeah. like, I know, I know that I should watch them. Please don't say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that I'm behind, guys. Yeah. Well, let's just delete that part for, for being on the podcast. Uh, our gift to you is we're going to give you Jamie's uh, Hulu credentials, which I also also use. So you can watch the files. John's name on my Hulu is Fox for Fox Mulder. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's serious. Uh, but the third season, John, I just want to talk about this just real fast. Uh, the third season really gets to where it's like. High quality. Three and four. Because I, one I and two, are... I, I fucking love. Like, I love one. The nostalgia really comes out on one. Some some of the best episodes of the whole series are on one. Hmm. At least two. Squeeze. Uh, yeah, in Ice. Uh, but uh, the third season is where you start, the conspiracy starts getting real fucking deep. And I'm listening along to the X-Files files now. Oh, dude. With Camille. <laughs> and, dude, I'm just like, I'm, I'm an... I'm a fucking X-Files creep right now. I can't wait to show you the <laughs> shirt that I'm wearing, and I'm, I have a story uh, behind it. So Excellent. we'll wait till we'll, what we're wearing uh, when we get to that. But, Anthony, what have you been watching, buddy? I actually just started a new show last night. Um, have you seen The Servant at all? It's on Apple Plus. No. No. The Servant. It's M. Night Shyamalan, hmm. who I'm not oh. a fan of by okay. any stretch of the imagination. He's producing this new show. It's for Apple TV, and um, it's very, very strange. And I, it, it is, I think, technically considered horror. But I'm only through the first like three episodes. But basically, um, this couple loses their this very affluent couple loses their child. The mother is like comatose about it, 
and then she gets like a hyper realistic therapy doll that Oof. looks like her God. former baby and she treats it like a real baby and the husband is like going along with it just it's so it keeps her out of being comatose and they hire a nanny to look over the doll and vibes then, of the boy here it's very much similar to the boy it's exactly what i said but then there's a a twist happens in like the end of the first second episode where it gets very like wacky and supernatural um which i'm not going to spoil if no one's seen it anything i've said is just in the trailer of the show but it's it's very creepy it is pretty well done um visually it produced very well um it's shot a little strange the set is beautiful the house of these is beautiful the actors are are great um but um that's that's my new thing right now it's very weird and i love weird shit is this one of those things where m night is just like executive producer showrunner or or does yes. he have his does hands he, in like every direct? episode that i can't answer for sure but it doesn't seem like it doesn't have his like stamp on it on gotcha. each episode so i think other people creatively are involved because like i said like I'm just never been into his stuff. Like Sixth Sense was great originally, but then like I felt a lot like a lot of the stuff that came after like Signs and mm-hmm. the Village were all very predictable and and silly. Um, so I was a little I, I've been the putting visit, off watching it. The visit I feel was his best. That was from, like his comeback. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, okay. I enjoyed the visit, but because I was the same way as Anthony, where I was like, well, I, I did like Signs, but the Village, I was like, get that the fuck out of here. Um, and then I watched, I watched the visit, which I fucking loved. And then I went back to, we actually talked about this on an episode where I apologized to John because I gave John a lot of shit because he always liked the village. And I was always like, fuck off with the village, John. Um, and I watched it the one day and I was like, all right, John, I have to apologize because I rewatched it and I loved it. Uh, the first within the, where when I cloaked. first saw the village within the first five minutes of the movie, I already knew how it was going to end without having ever seen the trailers. It was a little. It was just too fucking obvious. Yeah, I, I kind of had the visit figured out pretty early on, but I still like same the delivery. But yeah, and especially because it's like, okay, I've been doing this for twenty years. I trick people at the end. It's like not getting me, bud. Right when you watch I've watched seven thousand yeah. horror movies since the fucking Sixth Sense, and I know where you're heading with this. But uh, I, I thought I thought it was it was pretty good. Okay, and you know what? That might be the only movie of his that I haven't seen. Oh, so I'll yeah, I'll myself. check it out. I mean, again, you'll probably get it figured out pretty quick, but it's 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 enjoyable. Go, it's fun. Yeah, if you go along for the ride, it's fun. Okay, yeah, because, you know, the happening, come on, that was ridiculous. Um, is that the Mark Wahlberg so I, one? I, <clears throat> that is the Mark Wahlberg one. Oh, dude, I think that might have been when I was like, I'm done with this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, that was just bad. Like, don't put Mark Wahlberg in anything nowadays, but even <laughs> just that one, like, the wind is killing people. Yeah, fucking break. <laughs> yeah, totally but then, fucking like, even like Unbreakable and the, you know the tr- the trilogy, I guess, is the yeah. Unbreakable Glass yeah, and Split. Like, I like we didn't need horror themed superhero ish reality movies. Like, we got enough superhero stuff already. Like, I don't our, know. our I, last I episode we covered uh, actually was um, comic books that inspired horror films, or vice versa, and that didn't okay. even come up. We hit Creep Show. We hit from Hell, which I didn't even realize was based off a graphic novel. And <laughs> what was the third one? Uh, the Crow. The Crow. Yeah. The most obvious. The biggest one. one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great one. Great one. Good night. Uh, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll check Jesus. that out, man. Um, 
I've been. I can't. I can't wholeheartedly endorse it yet. I'm only on episode three, but so far it's kind of interesting. That's just what I started last night. Yeah. Cool. 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 Uh, well, I got the fog on uh, Blu-ray. It came um, yeah. because they were doing the the Scream Factory John Carpenter sale last week. So John and I, like a lot of people, like we have all these movies on DVD, but not on mm-hmm. Blu-ray. And so, like, we're slowly trying to get our collection to Blu-ray, which in two years it'll be 4K. Yep. But so I was like, I texted John, and I was like, dude, you have to buy The Fog, essentially. So I got that rolling, and then um, I've been watching some Kurt Russell horror films I, I'm not going to talk about because we have an upcoming episode. I think we're going to address some yep. of this. Uh, however, I've been hitting some Kurt Russell stuff, but uh, that's what I've been watching. Uh, what about buying? Jamie, have you bought anything in the past week? Uh, no, but you know what I did buy was some frames for those posters that I said I need to get framed up. So I got <laughs> like the eight by tens for there the Matt go. Pebbler prints, and I plan on buying a Anthony Petri print here soon. Dude, I'm, I actually have. Uh, I want to talk to you about my favorite of your prints after reviewing yeah. your catalog, but we'll wait for a minute for that. Um, but I bought uh, Joel Herrera, who we interviewed on, on our last episode. He's a very uh, talented graphic designer as well. Um, he's got a very unique style uh very like traditional uh, illustrator based uh designer uh he, that crow print that he made uh i bought that uh do you have that frame yet i don't see it, it. it didn't come yet oh. I, I literally just bought it like <clears throat> three days ago yeah uh, but anthony have you been buying anything horror related uh as of late i know we're putting you on the spot here if the answer is nothing do you collect fine. horror stuff too while we're on that topic uh well i haven't bought anything because i bought a house recently so now i'm just fucking poor mm, um, yeah yeah so that, buying stuff is like that. yeah it's at, a, at an all-time minimum um and in terms of collecting stuff and buying stuff in general not so much these days because currently i live in a very tiny apartment and it's not really big enough to collect like fucking anything sure but before i moved to la like three years ago i was a mega collector to the point where I had multiple storage units filled with toys. Like, oh yeah, we yeah. can spend an entire episode on the amount of fucking shit that I had. <laughs> um, but I ended up taking the, the the past three years and selling everything on eBay. But um, some of my favorite stuff that was actually you know, they're still going today is the NECA Ultimate horror figures. Like the stuff that they're doing with like the superposable crazy weaponry in hands and and swappable heads for like chucky and sam from trick-or-treat and freddie and jason They're like the best horror figures that's ever been made um and that stuff was always really cool but i think right now like the, the stuff that i'm buying every now and then like i'm kind of switched more over to like vinyl figures somehow like randomly just started collecting vinyl <laughs> vinyl toys uh, and I've got a bunch of like vintage Bullmark um, Godzilla toys. Oh, um, and I'm not sure if you like. I just I got. Um, are you familiar with Alex Party at all? He's a he's a pretty big artist. Oh yeah, uh, that does like kind of horror themed stuff. He he had a vinyl toy that came out. It's like a future me. It's a tombstone um, head, and the rest of them was like kind of a zombie bones and dirt vinyl figure it's amazing mm. we should look that one up but um you know every every so often i'm picking up like vinyl toys more than anything nowadays yeah. nice that's something john and i never really dabbled in is the toys. Yeah, yeah until like <clears throat> next year well we each have the trick-or-treat <laughs> toy yeah. but the problem is we like too much other stuff like the clothes and the fucking yeah. vinyls and this is getting problematic yeah. oh wait hang on a second i actually have something to give you okay on air right now <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, first, you were here last week. Will you marry oh, yeah. me? Here's your wedding ring yeah. that you left here. So there's that. Oh, Jesus. My, my wedding ring is one of those that um, when you buy it, you you can't get it resized. So if you buy the wrong size, like you're kind of fucked. And I bought I the it's, wedding ring that I have is a little like bit too big. slightly too so big for you. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. So I just gave uh, Jamie a gift, Anthony. So Is it my mug? It is. Yeah. It's your mug. <laughs> I'm gonna drink some Basil Hayden's out of this. So uh, oh, okay. I just I bought him for Christmas. Perfect. I actually ordered it before Christmas. It just came. Dude, you ordered it a long time ago. It just came yesterday. Yeah, perfect. Um, so it I, was it, that day, that fateful day that we had yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah before Christmas. We watched Krampus <laughs> and shit. Let's hit what we're uh, currently wearing right now because uh, we always do this. Um, so Jamie, you. All right. So we told you if I if, yeah. I if I if I I'm, may if you uh, may. <laughs> introduce you as the smug prick you are and uh have you tell tell everyone what you're wearing so we discussed last week that i bought that shirt that you really wanted but they didn't have the large yeah right? you said the medium um so for your it's the, i know what you dad did last ass summer. yeah it's the i know what you did last summer there's the zip um uh, but this this design dude yeah it's great fuck it's from cavity colors uh it's uh like a summer tea uh color it's it's this like robin's egg blue and it looks like it's been slashed, uh, and it's uh, the slicker man holding a note that says, I know what you did last summer, and he's got the hook, and it's it's awesome. I love that shirt. Nice. That's awesome. I remember when he first released this design, and I was like, John and I will buy matching tees and just wear them nonstop. And I, I fucked around <laughs> with it for so long. I had it in my cart. I had Same, it like not, yeah. And, and then I, I legit, like, I remember I woke up one day, I, like, worked out, and I was like, all right had a productive morning i'm gonna go buy that shirt next and then i went and i was like <gasps> for the uh there are no larges not black friday but new year's <laughs> the new year sale yeah i, I can't he did a new yeah, year it sale. was somewhere around yeah. the winter time yeah and you i actually had forgotten about it and you texted me and you were like oh man i really wanted that i know what you did last summer team but they did have larges and i was like oh sorry hmm, man did they have medium and he was Swipe? like yeah i think they did and i was like okay i'm gonna buy and wear in front of you well, <laughs> i said that yeah, as a joke but here we are all right, so let me. You guys hit sound I'm... like like uh, you guys sound like horror tea aficionados. So I have to ask: Do you guys buy from Rucking Fodden at all? We ha- we never have. We've not, but we've okay. we've actually. You're you're not the first person that's asked that question. Um, okay. So we we've got to get on it. Um, John and I are the type of guys where we we kind of get stuck like in like a like our movies. It, yeah, we get to like where we fall in love with a company or you know. And then we kind of get like rolling, but we've discovered a few new ones recently, like uh, Toxic Coffin, and um, yep. what was that one? The uh, Discount, Discount Cemetery. Cemetery. Yeah. Those are two of my favorites right yeah. now. Yeah. Those are good. So I lied earlier when I said I haven't bought anything recently because I two days ago I bought a shirt oh, from nice. Rucking Fountain. I got the They Live uh, oh, Long sweet. Sleeve, which oh, is dude. my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, but, so fucking good. And it's but never even, been more relevant than. Than now, yeah, yeah. Right oh, now. yeah. <laughs> for real. But even, but not just them. But like, I'll order from Fright Rags a lot. I love their shirts. Oh yeah. Uh, also, and, we just um, love. Well, Anthony, is, uh, since uh, you preambled that so nicely, uh, <laughs> let me tell you real quick what I'm wearing. Oh. Let me okay. uh, let me unzip my hoodie. There it is. Um, so I'm actually wearing my my Wear Monster T-shirt. It's Fright Rags. It's an X Files T-shirt. But I and Anthony, I don't know if you. Uh, 
have listened to the X Files Files podcast, but Kumail Nanjiani, um, who went on to do like Marvel movies, and he was in Silicon Valley, and he like became a really big deal. Uh, yeah, but, and that was like super charted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think he lives in uh, in your town. I think he lives in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but he uh, he has this podcast, or he had this podcast called the X Files Files, and he would focus on. It was before he got like mega famous. Yes. And basically the podcast got so much traction that it was part of what inspired the reboot. And he oh, just sure. dreamed so much to meet, um, you know, Dave Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. And it ended up being that, and it's funny that Jamie mentioned Clyde Bruckman's final rep- uh, repose because that is one of his favorite episodes. Right. And Darren Morgan, who directed that episode, was his favorite director. The guy only made, like, six episodes of the whole series, but he had, like, this nervous breakdown. And I think that's the only episode that won, um, is it Emmy? Is that the TV show? Emmy, yeah. Yeah, Emmy. So that's the only one that won an Emmy. So Hmm. he, dude only made six episodes. They were all fucking killer, and one of them won an Emmy. Uh, But that was his favorite director. He ended up getting that guy on the podcast, and... uh, he told him like, "Hey, if the show's ever rebooted, write me into an episode, and I want to make love to Jillian Anderson." <laughs> he said it as a joke. The show gets fucking rebooted. Darren Morgan gets brought on. Kamel Nanjiani's on this episode that of this T-shirt I have, the Wear Monster episode, and um, he, you know, he's he's like the bad guy. He's the Wear Monster. It's the smoking gun. Uh, the dialogue's really funny. Uh, it has this New Zealander character on it too, and it's just. That was one of our favorite episodes oh, of the dude. reboot. Yeah. It it's the best of the reboots. Right. Um so Anthony, sorry, I know you don't watch the X Files and I just went down a deep rabbit hole. Um So but... wait, did he end up did he end up getting with Julian Anderson or no? <laughs> he did not in the episode. He did not. Oh. You didn't get that lucky. You don't get everything you want in life. <laughs> that's that's I mean some people do, especially in Hollywood, but you never know. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but super amazing for him and uh I uh I hope Kamel if you're listening, you probably are. Um, <laughs> Why wouldn't he be? Yeah, uh, we'd love to have you on. And you know what? I'll just I'll just say it right now. I graciously accept your, your offer. Yeah, <laughs> it's our anniversary. Yeah. How could he just will, will it into will it into existence? How could you deny it? Yeah, uh, Anthony, you got anything? I we didn't prep you for this, so you might not be wearing a horror T-shirt. But he's sitting in his underwear. <laughs> Yeah, I usually like to do podcasts uh, completely naked. Makes perfect sense. On occasions, on occasions, I'll, I am known to wear horror stuff. I am actually wearing, so I'm wearing a Rodan t-shirt because um, I mentioned earlier I'm super into monsters, especially the Toho stuff and Godzilla. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. This one's yeah. This one's the the Becky Coonan t-shirt from Mondo. The um, the Rodan, oh, the, the Japanese type at the top. All right, so let's get into the interview portion. So let's get to your, like, background on horror. Did you grow up a horror fan? Like, is it something you have always loved since a kid? You know, I was kind of wondering about this the other day, actually, trying to figure out how I've kind of started off being obsessed with horror stuff. And I think that some of my earliest memories are actually watching Michael Jackson's Thriller on VHS on repeat. Yeah, oh, dude, for sure. Yeah, like everyone watching, that came out in 82, so we were all, like, real little. But um, 
that was probably like a, a, the seed that got planted, so to speak. Um, but I also kind of remember that, you know, around when I was like seven or eight, I think, and getting home from school early or during the summer when my parents were still at work, you know, I'd walk up to the local video store and rent some movies, which I'm pretty sure was like illegal for a, a seven-year-old to do. But, you know, it was the 80s and like just shit happened back then. Yeah, uh, Also, the, guy, the guys that... Yeah, there's a different time, but the guys that own the local VHS store were like friends of like my uncle, so they just got a kick out of like this this stupid little kid coming and asking for movies, and had it was you know it was like two bucks to rent a movie back then, and um, they would just give, and I, I didn't even know what I was looking for. I would just take any movie they would give me, so they would just rent me the most fucked up shit imaginable that they had um, for a kid to watch because they thought it was funny, so. You know, Predator, Alien, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. Child's Play, Pet Cemetery, all the you know, all the classics. Oh. Young for all those. So, Pet Cemetery, yeah, man. So, I watch that now so, in my basement, and I'm like, looking over my shoulder. Yeah. Anthony walked I, in, seven-year-old Anthony, like, here, take this copy of Dead Alive, kid. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I have. I imagine a lot of that uh, had a lot to do with it. I love the Pet Cemeteries. Uh, the first one is a little bit campy. The second one is like that weird like 80s sequel cheesy kind of thing which i thought was which i which i just love i, but, I love uh, the second one it, as well the second one's great and like yeah. 80, 80 for the a long time was like the shit I love, yeah i love all the dirt biking um, I, I, i'm yeah, gonna I, send you a picture of jamie's face smiling thinking about this right now because he's fucking cheesy <laughs> uh i even like the reboot of that one I'll be honest. I've never finished it. I've started it several times. Oh, I've, no. I've never made it through. I, I also have not. It, it's one of those where oh. it's, a men, it's a mental block for me, where I'm like, I'm not gonna like this. But all, the, also, the I've other had thing the ending is, spoiled for me. I had like the you know how yeah, they kind of yeah, switch. They yeah, switch things. I, up. I, I had it spoiled, so now I'm like, meh. I also I have this like reinvigorated appreciation for like modern horror because you selected this topic, and then I started to go down this fucking like rabbit hole. So I feel like. I have all this stuff stacked up, and the three movies that you chose that we're going to get into in a little bit, I I looked at all of them through a new lens. Um, some of them I knew I liked prior to the discussion. Some I thought I didn't like, but found I did. And yeah, so yeah. Good. And I think the, the cool thing about them is like the more that you even research even further into them, you end up taking on an even more appreciation for each of them, which I think is the thing that is really a hallmark of the newer age of horror movies where there's so many levels to peel back and and research as much as you want you can take it for face value and enjoy it as a movie or if you want to like take a deep dive and really get into what the creative aspects of it of each of them are uh you know it's, it's up to you and i think you're just going to end up with a, with a greater appreciation for for newer horror movies for sure. So, what did your family think when you would come home with this stack of VHS tapes of horrifying like movie covers? I mean, I have to tell you, I I don't think that they even know that because you know I was just alone because they were at work and I get oh, home yeah. from school like like early, so they probably had no idea. But again, like shit like that doesn't even fly nowadays. And back then, like you know, your kids were just out doing whatever. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anyone in my family who's a real horror aficionado at all but you know one thing i will say is that halloween was basically christmas thanksgiving new year's fucking everything in my family yeah. like that was the thing we'd go balls to the wall out for every year and we'd rent out like this huge hall when i was a kid every person we knew would come oh no shit this huge fucking halloween party and like, you grew up in, in new york right 
yeah, this was in Queens um, as a as a kid, and uh, and you know, aside from that, we we would just like decorate our house really fucked up and stuff. Like, I put nooses around like the necks of all my toys and hang them in the windows, and like we'd splash fake blood on the house and like. Oh, I think most of it. Yeah, I think it was mostly just to fuck with the neighbors more than anything else. But you know, like they always Christian found that neighbors. stuff. We... Yeah, they always found that stuff more fun and interesting than any <laughs> other holiday. But that that weird shit has an effect on a kid. I love so, that. You know, yeah, we, thankfully uh... I didn't grow up to be a serial killer. Yeah, no, uh, I love that. Because that could have well. gone either way. Yeah. <laughs> but we, uh, we also love that. Yeah, I love the fact that your horror uh, fascination just kind of came from going to the video store randomly as a seven-year-old. Yeah, I, that's great. Yeah, did you have that. friends in within your community that were like, were feeding that, or that you fed that to? Like, did you have like a little, like a clan of, uh, or or another person, or anything, or was it just like a isolated interest? I think at the time, and this was probably like, I don't know, eighty seven or eighty eight, where Monster Squad came out. Yeah. And yeah. Like, even if like you know. Obviously, I was like going out of my way to get all of these completely inappropriate movies to watch, and not everyone was doing that, but everyone knew Monster Squad. So we were all out like printing our own fucking Monster Squad business cards, like yeah. handing them out to neighbors. So, like, you know, that, that obviously like existed amongst friends, but like, I don't think they, they truly appreciated like the intensity of the squibs in Robocop when he got his fucking arm blown off like you know and i'm like sitting there like watching like oh my god that's a very incredible amount of blood like as a little kid so i think like i think i was just exposed to it like in a different way than everyone else but maybe understood that maybe not everyone was doing that yeah it's, it's funny because i still to this day when i watch monster squad i want to like get on my bike and go collect all my friends like john justin jason yeah let's go <laughs> i i feel unbelievably emotionally moved by those kinds of films yeah. to just like text my friends right. and just yeah, tell yeah. them I love them. Same. And yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy that like, it's like, that's essentially what we do now. This is our fucking clubhouse. You know, like this podcast studio is our clubhouse. Like this is us. Where fucking... we are sitting right now is like, <clears throat> if my wife came down here right now and found like marshmallows, playboy yeah, magazines like porn, and like yeah, weird, porn, yeah. she would be like, okay, yeah, this is your little weird Sanctuary or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah no, time no for girls dinner. Allowed. Get out of here, baby. Yeah. 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 All we have down here are uh, just IPA beers and a horror movie posters and a shitload of Blu-rays. But uh, that we have the Sexorcist on TV though. So. <laughs> but yeah, no. But in all honesty, like this is our. You're right. This is our version of that now, mm -hmm. as you know, people in our, you know, mid to late thirties with kids. So yeah. at what point, uh, Anthony, did you, I guess this is a twofold question, at what point did you decide art was your uh, avenue? And at what point did you decide that, like, oh, like was horror what got you into art? Or did you get into art and then were like, I want to do, you know, horror-related art as well? No, I think, uh, you know, it's always kind of been the plan. I started drawing as soon as I could hold a pencil, like, as far back as I remember. And, you know, I'm just fortunate that I had family that, that supported that and, and nurtured that. And that doesn't always happen for a lot of, a lot of kids. Like they saw that there was interest there. And then I just stuck with it, especially because of that support that I had. And that was always the plan through going through art school and all the way to, to having a career in art. And, you know, when it comes to horror specifically, like 
even though that that's where my main interests lie. To be honest, it was a little bit hard to get into that world from an art perspective because there are so many contemporary artists that are so well known for horror artwork that, and you know, you mentioned it earlier, like people who are into horror tend to stick with the things that they like over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and the same goes for like hiring artists to do art to do horror artwork. So you've got like your mainstays that have always been doing it. And um, they're always going to get hired for that stuff. So trying to break in and um, kind of carve out a name for myself and being synonymous with horror art is, you know, that's, that's been a goal, but it's always been a challenge. And, you know, I always try to push my, my, my clients, you know, my, my supporters like Bottleneck and, and Gallery 88 and Grey Matter to be like, well, you know, let's do a horror like poster. Like, let's try to get more of that stuff in there, even though like, you know that's not their favorite stuff for me to do so it's like kind of this chipping away at that like what people expected me for artwork even though you know i started making like you know stupid captain america fan art to to begin with but trying to break away from that has, has been a challenge but you know especially in the past year it's gotten a lot a lot easier to be able to to get people who appreciate that that horror art to, to be liking my work so it's you know it's like a little snowball that keeps rolling oh that's amazing do you want to talk a little bit about um what it is that you do kind of kind of day to day so like a lot of um people that work within the art industry maybe do it as freelance and some do it as as full time and it seems like you you know kind of have a structure where it's kind of a, a hybrid of both, right? You have you have multiple clients and you work on multiple projects. So you kind of want to talk about like your day to day and like what it is that you do uh, as your day job. Yeah, I mean, if you know my name, you know it's it's more going to be synonymous with like screen printed movie posters. I think that's really kind of like I use those as giant business cards to get my name out there to get to get work and stuff, and that's what I've been doing for the past. I don't know like decade over a decade um but before all this i you know i worked the corporate work you know i worked at i was a footwear designer for years i was a toy designer for years i worked at nickelodeon designing style guides for years and then the point came where i it was time for me to go out on my own and start my own company and i do mostly like product design and style guides and, and creative direction for like all your favorite shit Literally, like, um, you know, SpongeBob, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, GI Joe. I mean, you know, Jurassic Park. You said right? Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Um, so I work in a lot of big brands, and I and I do a lot of their creative direction and a lot of their their style guide artwork that'll eventually end up on product that you'll see at Target or Walmart or whatever. And then there's this kind of dichotomy to side. This, I wouldn't necessarily call it a side thing, but I do like more illustrative work, which is how you guys found me for like waxwork or bottleneck and doing posters and record covers and t-shirts and stuff like that, like more pop culture related. Yeah. And we mentioned already that you did the design for the um, Friday 13th part eight vinyl with uh, waxwork, which is how we found you. And mm. um I just got to say, and I think I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago, but like my kids were completely enamored by the design and it's, it, it's so 
interesting to hear you sort of talk about um, what it is that you do for these big brands and like the creative direction and the overall like brand development because that the experience of that vinyl is it's very cohesive and it's like a story is being tell or told uh, through through opening it and, and even the back like it's great to hear that you're from Queens because like the subway uh, uh, just I fucking like because I, I lived in New York City uh, as a kid uh, for a couple of years as well so just seeing that like it just it instantly uh, brought me right back there and I just I love the the flow and the the design and the way it's laid out and like clearly you're a, a professional in that that uh, space based off of how you know I just was so goddamn excited as soon as I opened that I instantly I was like I looked at the back I was like who fuck who did the artwork for this was it Ghoulish Gary was it was it Matt Ryan uh, and I just I I was so excited to find a new person and I'm glad we found you. Um, Oh, thanks man. Yeah. That, uh, you know, the, that project was definitely special in the sense that, you know, had that New York connection and, you know, wax work really like, I think hit the nail on the head and picking someone who was, you know, passionate and, um, you know, about New York and from New York and also, uh, involved in like horror artwork and, that just worked out really well, I think, for both of us uh, in terms of, you know, that specific Jason movie, even though it's not the best movie in the world. Um, but there's so many iconic things that you can you can conjure up for for that movie. Um, so that I bought, was really, really I, good match. I bought that that new uh, deluxe, you know, Blu-ray set and I probably watched through one through six after I bought it. <laughs> the day I got that vinyl in the mail, um, I found it sitting outside in the snow. I picked it up. I unwrapped it. Kids were asking me a bunch of questions. I put it on the record player. I cooked dinner. I looked at my wife. I was like, I'm going downstairs, and I'm watching Friday 13th Part 8. Like, it inspired, <laughs> inspired me to watch um, a movie that's not most certainly not my favorite of the franchise, but uh, I feel like I like it way more now after getting the vinyl. So I'll, we'll just leave it oh. right there. It's like when you okay. see a band live, you didn't like their last album, but then you see them live, and you're like, yeah. okay, well, I love yeah, this album. Yeah. <laughs> where, uh, where do I get the tattoo uh, mm-hmm. on my... What? Yeah. I think that's kind of the point of like album artwork or <laughs> like shitty movie poster artwork. It's to entice you into you know, wanting to watch it and like having those nostalgic feelings about being connected to the artwork more than, so than the movie. Yeah. For sure. And in this day and age, that's super prevalent. Um, I've heard other people make references about how, you know, now you'll see people, it used to be you'd see people like wearing like a Ramones or a Beatles t-shirt who's never listened to the band. And now it's kind of like you'll see people wearing um, a t-shirt of a movie that they've never seen, you know, just because the artwork is fucking cool. Yeah. And much like when you see the Ramones t-shirt, it's like, do you? Well, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, take that shirt up. But now it's becoming <laughs> Andy Bernard, the movie version of you didn't that. Go to yeah. Cornell, take that sweatshirt off. Oh <laughs> uh, shit! So the other thing, just to comment again on your work, real quick, until we jump into a couple more questions. But going through your catalog, I got to say my favorite piece is that fucking Wolfman drawing. Oh, okay, dude. So good. Can you can you walk through a little bit like that piece, for example? So as a 
viewer, I'll just describe my experience with it. It looks like um, there are a couple uh, variations of it, but um, essentially it's it's like a, a half half man, half wolf face, and mm-hmm. um, it's it looks like it's probably pencil drawn. Yeah. No, I do everything digitally. Yeah, like I said, it's digitally drawn. <laughs> Because I'm an expert. I work in marketing, so, like, how the fuck wouldn't I know, you know? Well, I like that I fooled you. Yeah. Fooled the shit out of uh, me. You know, that one. That was, that's surprising. I feel like it wasn't necessarily as big of a, of a hit as, like, the Frankenstein that came before in that same Universal Monster series, which, you know, that one was crazy. There was so much fervor around and people, like, going crazy about trying to get them and you know, trying to follow up something like that in a series is always going to be challenging. But um, especially with, with Wolfman personally, because there's so much symbolism and allegory and emotion that is, exists within Frankenstein that I feel like just didn't really exist in Wolfman, the movie. And, you know, we can go down a whole rabbit hole of talking about Universal Monster movies, but, you know, the challenge there was trying to to come up with some sort of concept that that would kind of transcended what the the movie was really about it was kind of you know a weird movie and Wolfman's kind of a creep and not a very sympathetic character. So uh, I'm glad that you <laughs> that you like that one. <laughs> he, no, he's not a very sympathetic character in comparison to the Frankenstein's. But I I do think of the Universal monsters like if you look at just the monster in terms of just a sheer uh, just visual perspective. I I always gravitated toward the Wolfman um, for no mm-hmm. other other reason than I just kind of like like the yeah. the feel of the film, you know. Yeah, uh, it, it, there's a lot of like really cool elements, and that's what I that I wanted to include in, like having the wolf's bane in there, like using some of those zodiac symbols, which I feel like anytime you see like classic. Um, universal monsters are or even newer stuff they always kind of forgo some of the 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 core parts of the character like having the the gypsy Bella Lugosi like do the tower reading and like having like that whole aesthetic involved with uh with the characters it's always something that's left out it's always like a picture of Wolfman like howling at the moon you know yeah so is your is your trying uh is your wife into horror Oh no, no fucking way! No, we couldn't be more polar opposite <laughs> on our likes. Um, but I will say, and you know, when she listens to this, she'll definitely give me a stink eye. But sometimes I'll have on a horror movie that um, she'll like peek around the corner and, and like watch a little bit, and then like come back, <laughs> like leave, and then come back, like, oh, what happened? Like, like there's interest there, but it's always on the most absolutely fucked up movies <laughs> ever. <laughs> Like she yeah. she likes watching like Green Inferno, which was just fucking you know <laughs> off the rails fucking cannibal movie, and I'm like, really? This is the one you want of to fucking watch? Well, the of reason I was the asking I the question is because there's a board game, and right now we're all looking for things to do with those we live with, um, <laughs> since we're in isolation. But there's this board game called Horrified, and um, yes. one of our favorite designers, Ghoulish Gary Pullen, he did a lot of the artwork I think for the game. And I got it a couple years ago for Christmas from my stepmom, and it's all about the Universal Monsters, and a lot of what you're describing, the imagery, um, 
it's just part of the game and it's very well illustrated and it's a lot of fun it's it focuses around the universal monsters and it's it's kind of like a strategy game so uh if if uh, yeah. you and your wife are into board games it only takes two people to play and i would buy the absolute hell out of it and play it because it's great okay well like you, so we mentioned earlier about guys who are synonymous and iconic with horror and gary is is one of those guys that it's like you know he's your go-to horror guy right he's one of them and as another weird segue i wish you mentioned this later because my wife actually bought me a charlie's head hereditary puzzle that we did together oh shit <laughs> It's just a puzzle of Charlie's decapitated, decomposing head. Um, she was like, I wanted to do a puzzle, and I know you only do horror shit. So I got this one. So here you are. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was fresh or uh, decomposing. So It was a decomposing one. Oh, you know? God. It was hard because there's like so much disgusting shit happening in there. Yeah, it no was doubt. A lot of flies. <laughs> so on that note, though, what other artists? So you mentioned Gary. I, I mean we would love to have him on and Gary, we know you and Camille are probably together right now listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so just holding hands, watching the X-Files. Again, the answer is yes. You can certainly be on. Uh, but what other artists uh, inspire you, man? Oh my God. There's so many levels to that. I think if we're talking about like contemporary horror artists, you know, we already talked about Gary. We already talked about Matt Ryan. We already mentioned Alex party. Um, Jason Edmiston's, you know, he's, oh, you know, one of the best out there. Amazing. Horror. Yeah. Phantom City is obviously super iconic with, uh, with horror work. Um, a guy, Robert Samelin, who's doing a lot of work for Waxwork right now, um, is a guy that I, I'm loving the stuff that he's doing. Um, in terms of like classic horror art, like I love the old Fred Zeta stuff. Um, HR, Jiguer. I love obviously who doesn't. Um, I love all all those Bernie Wrights and Frankenstein ink drawings. Um, but I mean, you know, I like I gravitate towards artwork that is completely different from mine. Um, not necessarily even horror based. Um, I really like bold shapes and colors and, and abstraction. Like I love Tristan Eaton, James Jean, Malika Farr. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Coop um, and his Devil Girls. Um, I love mid-century modern design and architecture. And, you know, all of those things don't really fit into kind of my world. But every once in a while, I'll try to fuse those worlds together, uh, particularly like, uh, you know, using mid-century modern design and doing like Universal Monsters. I did like a whole series on those. So... I yeah. honestly feel the. I, I took a similar note on all three films you picked that we're going to discuss here in a little bit, um, about the specific like decor and layout of the physical environment of like the homes um, mm. involved in in the films, and I feel like there's definitely a theme there that resonates with what you're describing. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I definitely definitely feel that that's a factor in kind of what you selected. So I think that's certainly <laughs> relevant. Yeah. Yeah, maybe subconsciously. I wasn't even thinking that, but yeah. <laughs> All right, so one of the reasons why I think everybody loves, you know, there's certainly a huge, like, Blu-ray 4K boom right now, and I think one of the reasons is the artwork that's done. Um, if you could pick one, like, Blu-ray to be commissioned to do the artwork on, do you have a movie that you would love to do? 
Um, no, because I hate doing Blu-ray covers. Um, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually turned down the past few Blu-ray jobs because the really? space is too small. It's not very like elegantly shaped. Hmm. Um, there's usually like so many restrictions and so many requests um, that it's just a fucking nightmare, and I and I hate doing it. And well, that's as good as answer as any. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but hypothetically, hypothetically, if I had to pick a property that I would work on for if if I was offered this property I would take the job because I hate doing Blu-rays as much it's and you guys already touched on this in a previous episode but uh, I would do Midsummer. Oh cool. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there we actually were talking about Midsummer um again on the last episode and from a creative standpoint the the canvas associated with that there's just so much to pull from like the floral elements and Mm -hmm. it's like this it's this juxtaposition of like this intense simplicity of like landscape um that's offset by like these vibrant like very direct and in your face like nuanced colors that are associated with like flowers or buildings or or attire like what these um you know townsfolk are wearing so yeah What's funny is Joel, who we just had on the last episode, just released an amazing fucking uh, midsummer midsummer yeah. print. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those like like I had talked about this with someone previously, but it's one of those properties where if I were to actually get offered to do a job on it, I would panic because I love <laughs> that movie, and it's not even like all the things you mentioned are extremely valid and make are totally appropriate for that movie, but it's just. The fact that it's so fucking weird, and I love extremely weird shit, um, that I love that movie, and if I were to get offered a job on it, I would just, like, freeze. Like, similar to kind of what happened with uh, my Night of the Living Dead poster. Like, I've always wanted to do a zombie poster. Dude, that was Never my second would... favorite of what, <laughs> what you did, for sure. I, I, I love, love, love that design. It's like these boards and these hands coming through. Yeah, it's it's so cool. How how'd that manifest? That, that was just one of those projects where I was like, you know, you know, my all my handles for all social media are zombie bacons. I love zombies, but I've never actually drawn zombies, which is fucking weird because <laughs> I just freeze it up with like things that I really really like are hard for me to work on because um, I can't be super objective about it. Like my my personal interests start to intertwine with the brief in, in a weird way. Like it's easier for me to work on things that I actually hate because I can be super duper subjective about this. It's just a job. Like, yeah, it's like this right. is the answer. Yeah. We're done. Like if you want to change, that's fine. Yeah. But with <laughs> zombies and you know, it's it's like in this intense pressure of like I cannot fuck this up. If I fuck this up, I'll be a complete fool. So yeah. with yeah. You know, I try to always like think about projects like what's the thing that you absolutely shouldn't do and then try to do it, uh, which seems like a backwards way of, of working. But, you know, when Bottleneck came to me and they were like, um, we want you to do Night of the Living Dead. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with the whole um, uh, copyright being in the, in the public domain. Last year, it ended up being. Um, private again and licensable. So this would this was technically the first licensed screen print for 
um, Night of the Living Dead, which just added on top of all the fucking pressure of doing a poster for something that I love. <laughs> yeah. We actually, so I just you were like, probably working on that when we interviewed Jay Boninsinga, who wrote the Walking Dead novels, and he was <laughs> he was talking about because he was buddies with George Romero, and he was talking about the license, the licensing. It was it was February of last year yeah. that we had him on. He was yep. talking about it. Um, so yeah, that's the right around the time that I did it. Yeah. yeah, and so I was like, well, what what could I do that would like surprising for this and it was just don't draw fucking zombies like that was it like don't draw zombies and so I was like well how do I take that concept and turn it into a poster that someone's going to be like okay I'm going to buy this you know you can't get too ridiculous with with your concepts so I was like well what if like they're I kind of envisioned the poster as like being framed in a window frame like it would look like a window in your house so that um, when you hone the poster, it looked like zombies were kind of breaking through and attacking you. So it was more of like this trying to do this Trump loyal feeling more so than celebrating like the look of the characters. In a way, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. The uh, piece is amazing. I, I literally, I have two, two items written here uh, of, of evalu- evaluating your catalog that, you know, I, I was most drawn toward and, First was Wolfman, second was that uh, Night of Living Dead piece. So that's that's awesome, man. Thanks. Um, so let's jump into some movies here. But before we do that, let's plug your stuff, man. How can people find you? Uh, you know, um, how can people buy your stuff? What's the best uh, best method to interact with you? Uh, all of the above. Uh, I mean, I always keep my main website up to date. It's just anthonypetri.com. Uh, you can access all my links on there. But if you don't want to do that, you can. I'm. I'm zombie bacon's on everything. At zombie bacon's, yeah. And uh, if you slide into his DM against your wife's uh, <laughs> suggestion, he might respond. <laughs> <laughs> I always respond. Well, we're glad you did, buddy. So, we're gonna jump into some films here. And again, all right. Uh, these are you know new wave horror. This is like stuff from the past 10 years um mm-hmm. and really love this subject matter because jamie and i typically hover around the you know the nostalgia of the 80s and 90s so this is a um a little bit of you know un unexplored territory for us so i'm glad to talk about <laughs> some of these films so let's let's hit the first one i can introduce the first one uh this is from 2018 directed by ari aster and um Starring Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro, and Gabriel Byrne. This is the very, very mindfuck of a film, Hereditary. Come on, Peter. It's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. 
She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. Alright, so I'll give the quick like IMDB synopsis of the film. Um, but then Anthony, love to hear your initial uh sure. you know, comments on the film. But this is about a grieving family that's being haunted by um you know, very tragic and disturbing occurrences that are, are happening within within a home. Uh there's a lot of you know death surrounding this film. But uh Anthony, let's let's get your take on this uh, you know, why is this one of the ones that you picked that's most prominent from the past uh, 10 years or so? Yeah, I think there's, you know, especially this one, but even the other two that we're, we're going to about to talk about, I think there's some discussion of whether um, a lot of the modern horror movies, this one, you know, and the other two that we're about to talk about are in fact part of the horror genre technically, especially since a lot of them feel more like, like a drama or a thriller um, but I feel like a common thread I see in, in all of them is that they're all highly upsetting, disturbing, anxious, terrifyingly relatable to a certain degree, and leave you with a sense of uneasiness. And I think those emotions you have at the end of a movie, regardless of what the genre are, kind of makes it what uh, what horror is, really. So you know, this one, yeah, we can we can endlessly analyze how fucked up this movie was but i want to call out something specifically with this one that stood out to me and it's the the movie's use of sound um, which is big in horror first note i have on here is sound design holy fuck it says on this piece of paper in front of me sound design dash holy fuck so yes i agree and i think i think like that's a that's a good phrase to use because it's not just the foley and it's not just the music but it's the overall design of how sound is used in the movie is what really elevates this above a lot of other horror movies and it's because of how they used quiet and silence as a way to build tension um like traditionally for example we're accustomed to like silent moments in a movie in a horror movie and then suddenly there's a startling loud sound and like a jump scare, right? But in in Hereditary, the opposite happens. Like the, Ari Aster, the director, uses like a long, ongoing droning sounds with quick cuts to silence, yeah, which is like really I, off-putting. I thought so. There, a lot of it is pulsing, like boom, boom. It, mm-hmm. it's almost you know the thing kind of does that a little bit, it, but mm-hmm. you can tell it's like a score happening in the thing. Whereas in this, it's like, is that my body? Is that my head? Like what, what is that? And this is, I've only seen this film two times. Um, and this is the second time I've watched it. The first time I watched it, I didn't like it. Uh, and the first time I watched midsummer, I didn't like it. So I watched midsummer again for two episodes ago. Loved it. Watched this, uh, a few days ago, loved it. And, um, I had it on down in the podcast space. I've got surround sound down here and that sound was just like pulsing behind me. And I I was like looking over my shoulder. I I didn't know. I I actually paused the movie because I, I was like, is it, am I, am I stressed out? Like, is this me or is this the film or like what's happening here? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly effective. So you you actually said something that resonates with me a lot and full transparency. I'm a massive Ari Aster fan, both Hereditary and Midsummer. The first time I watched them, I did not like them either. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know why. It's weird because like now they're my favorite movies. And I think it's because the great thing about this movie is the rewatchability of it and being able to discover something new each time. Like there's kind of that's kind of like the hallmark of all of these modern horror movies. They're not just like slashers and jump scares anymore. You get the slow burn and the suspense of like, you know, Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby, and you get the payoff of like the batshit crazy roller coaster insanity. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You so much more you uncover so much more in these movies than you would, you know, like Friday the thirteenth where oh I noticed Kevin Bacon's dick looks like a roll of quarters. <laughs> uh, I never noticed that before. <clears throat> these movies well, now I need to rewatch it to know for sure. Um I feel the exact same way with these movies is I I and also I feel like this is a detriment to as we discussed earlier, the modern viewer where we're constantly distracted by other shit. Uh, these are movies that you cannot be distracted. You have to... And they're designed for you to fucking watch, as most movies are. Uh, but we're all just, like, so caught up in our shit now with binge-watching shit where we can be on our phone and check shit while we're watching our favorite show. You can't do that with these movies. Um, and if you want to do that, just plan on rewatching Because... You know what's funny is I had my wife watch this movie with me for the rewatch, and she hates horror, as your wife does. Um, but she was like, is this going to be scary? And I was like, no. no. <laughs> I said, no, it's, I said, it's really heavy. And she was like, well, what do you mean heavy? And I was like, you know, like emotionally, it's more of a heavy film than it is scary. And I totally forgot. I, I, to be well, honest, I dude, forgot how fucking fucked up this gets. that, but your son has a peanut allergy, which probably resonated yeah, it does. even yeah, harder. It, than it did, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and she was like, oh, well, I see what you mean, I have you, and I was like, well, no, we haven't really be- begun yet, <laughs> um, but it it's was one of those too, things yeah. where, yeah, even after we were done, and I was like, I get this so much more than I did the previous time, and she was like, well, I get it too, and I was like, you get it, but you don't, you still didn't <laughs> notice a lot of stuff, like the telephone pole, for instance. Uh, how that marking is on the telephone pole when he's driving when to he the drives party. there. It's and foreshadowing. You would never, in, you would yeah. almost never notice. And even if you did see that, you wouldn't even really think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit like yeah. that. And even the same type of stuff in Midsummer that you notice that you're like, oh, fuck. Okay, now I see. Like, it, it. you have to rewatch these movies, in my opinion, unless you're some sort of fucking, like, genius who sits there and studies these films <laughs> the first time you watch them, which... But so you can't you can't watch a film like being a detective. You have to kind of have an emotional response. Right, and that second time that rewatch film. allows you that detective. Yep. Yeah, this one was was packed with a lot of stuff. I I just didn't take away from the first viewing. And 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 one I I listed was the sound design, but two like the set design and the makeup and the location and um to a point that we had referenced a little bit earlier like the interior of that house is so like macabre and there are like sconces on the wall it's almost like dracula's castle the upstairs especially yeah, yeah. the yeah. the the area like where they uh they pull the fucking um attic yeah. ladder down that is very funeral homeish up, dude up the whole house is very <laughs> funeral homeish too. if renfield yeah. popped out in the back you'd be like okay yeah he belongs there yeah um, but I I, felt, I love that house. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and even the um, such a critical lo- location in in the form of the the barn outside. Like obviously, a lot 
happens the, the there. The treehouse. Yeah. yeah. The treehouse, um, all of it, the setting is so effective. and It's one of those where the, the setting in Utah, it, it's so large and massive that it almost becomes isolated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like the thing where, like, you're in this massive fucking yeah. world, but you're in this very isolated little spot where only you, you know, you're contained to. But that is offset. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think part of what creates that gravity is the entire, like, the idea of this dollhouse thing that she's working on. Right. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is this whole, like, self-reflection of, like, how she's managing just layer upon layer of grief and mourning and just everything. But I, I was reading how they had to design... This wasn't a real house. They had to build build it on a set because they had to be able to do the shots from overhead to make it... Uh, match the shit she was building really yeah so oh, they, they yeah. had to be able to film it that same way so like when you're looking at uh the things that she's building in her workshop there you're looking at pretty much the same thing when you watch the film no shit sure. mm-hmm. i didn't know that well that's the thing that makes ari aster fucking a genius elite yeah he goes through <clears throat> he had uh, before that, he even wrote the screenplay for this movie. He had written every character's like backstory uh, before you know we went into the, even the screenplay. So like this fucking guy is just originally, I guess he designed this just to be a family drama about loss mm-hmm. and uh, despair, and and then he it's called realized he could make Fuller a horror house. Film. Yeah, he realized he could make a <laughs> horror film out of it, which he fucking masterfully did. Well, that's like we pick up, like as the story is already progressing. Like, so so much has already happened. Yeah, we're already on movie, grandma's deathbed, right? Yeah, the movie even starts with a, a biography of the grandma. Like, that's the first screen that you see. So it's picking up at a moment in time when so much has already happened. Um, yeah. With you know, it's not like this. You know, from the beginning, it's not like that sort of movie. Sure. Yeah, no, this this shit's really heavy. Um, Man. Do do you guys... I have a a most haunting scene I wanted to reference. Yeah, what's your favorite Um, slash haunting scene? So, and I I had so many, but the one that actually, like, gave me a chill down my soul uh, or down my spine that made me, like, shiver was... And the husband in this film is so, like... The, the cast, let me just say, the cast is amazing in this movie. It's so well acted. Yeah. by Every role is so well acted. And if you Tony look into the... Collette if you fucking look, kills she's amazing. it, dude. She's just so good. But if you look into the backstory, Ari Aster designed a lot of this shit, too. Like, apparently, um, uh, Millie Shapiro and uh, Alex Wolf, so Charlie and Peter, apparently they went to the same, like, school together. So they already knew each other. And he would make them go to, uh, like, restaurants and go shopping in character and Millie couldn't talk and so <laughs> P, uh, Alex would have to essentially like treat him like he would treat Charlie or treat her like he would treat Charlie and like you know try to get stuff out of her without her talking and they would sit for like three hours at dinner with her not talking and like him trying to like get her to talk so shit like that is fucking crazy that's unbelievable so what what was the scariest part? What was the creepiest part you were about to say? So yeah, I, I don't. It's it's 
it's not even necessarily scary, but it's so much of this film to me is it's real life horror and and in management of loss and management of uh, grief, right? And that's mm-hmm. what's so terrifying about the film in, in certain respects. But when the husband, who is like the most patient human being alive, <laughs> even to the point where it becomes his actual death, <laughs> where he's like, fine, throw the book in the fire, and then he, he, he sets really a blaze, is, right? Yeah. Uh, but when he walks in and uh, Millie Collette, or I'm sorry, uh, Tony Collette is, is working on he thinks she's working on the house, but she's doing that mm-hmm. like abstract of the telephone pole yeah. oh in the car. <laughs> and he says like, what the fuck? And she was and and I think she says, uh, it's a neutral view neutral, of the yeah. accident. Right. Like, and she's like, and she's so defensive about like, Very what defensive. is wrong with this? Yeah. And he, and he said, and he says something like, don't let him see it. Like in reference to the sun. And, and just the idea of me having to have that conversation with my wife at any point in life is it, it it's ter- it's a terrifying concept, uh, and it's so it's well acted, it's well written, it's well delivered, the, the whole gamut. Yeah. So yeah, that's and, the one. And really just going resonated. back, and just going back to the 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 sounds of this movie and whatever it is that Ari Aster does to get his main actresses to get to a place where they have guttural horrific screaming and crying i don't know how they do it but particularly tony collette in this movie um with that you know her horrible crying scene and screaming dude is just just sticks with you in the same you know the same at you know midsummer with florence Pugh um in the beginning of the movie yeah, um, yeah, it feels like, like how, you're, how you're, you have a stomach there. ache or something like yeah, it makes you that you sick. can't manage. Yeah, Oof. it's um, uh, it's hard I'll, to watch. I'll, yeah. I'll actually, I'll just to to parry off of what you said about being a super patient character in this movie. I'd actually say the most patient people were Annie's gallery, who who kept calling and checking in on them uh, about her yeah. show, like. Offering them, you know, offering to postpone the show, checking in to see how they were doing, how she was doing, and stuff like unsung hero of the movie. Yeah, the uh, the unnamed uh, unsung hero. You know that one, the one phone call. I think it's the second one. Is Ari Aster? That's yes. his voice. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you so, Anthony? What's your favorite or most disturbing scene? Well, I was, the weird naked Satanist at the end, hiding in the shadows, is just a visual that is really disturbing. Yeah. But I think the one that really sticks out that that didn't hit quite as hard in the theater as it did at home when I was watching it was um, Annie crawling on the ceiling in inside her son's bedroom. It was like so dark and so impossible to see, but seeing that like in in my own home like freaked the fucking hell out of me i have full chills like i had the whole like last 20 minutes of that movie was like i would just like my body had like chills on it (laughs) yeah there's a lot of like actual physical horror in this film and there's a lot of emotional horror in this film you know what's funny is i don't think the physical horror would be as uh effective if it wasn't for the emotional tool that you no, take dude, if, if, yeah. if this film was like uh, Amityville 7.0 like it would be shit yeah, yeah but he also he doesn't do it in a jump scare way you know it's 
his scares are so they're so emotionally Even, heavy. Like when um the brother is like he wakes up in the dream and and Charlie had just died and he like looks in the corner and he says Charlie and then like she turns into that like volleyball that falls to the ground or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That is just such a tasteful. It's not, you can't even explain it. It's just like, it's like a beautiful note in a song where you're like, yeah, no, that belongs there. I wouldn't have put it there, but I'm glad you did kind of thing. And it's just, it, it just makes so much sense. I don't don't know. All right. So my scene was also Annie on the ceiling, but it's when she's stabbing her herself in the neck. Um, I oh, found it, she's sawing her head off with the piano Yeah, wire. I found it very effective in the, the first time I watched it, but it was like, oh, shit, that's fucking fucked up. But the <laughs> second, this time was like, oh, my God. Like, I was like, I was holding my breath and my fucking, like, I have a, a great jawline now because, like, I was just, like, fucking <laughs> clenching my neck, like, working every muscle that I have. Um, and the last thing I'll say on this movie is my wife hated me for making her watch like she the next day she was like i fucking hate you she texted me and anthony if you don't know jamie's married to my sister um oh okay yeah so uh she and and i'm just a lucky yeah so she she texted him she's like you fucking idiot why and i was like yeah they must hate you guys with this podcast oh they they, they, they do they actually just do All right, let's head to our next film. We're going back to 2014. Uh, Jamie, you want to introduce this one? Or I Anthony? do. Yeah. Um, this is so. This movie, I think we all loved it when we first saw it. Yep. This wasn't like Hereditary and Midsummer, where it was like, eh. I I've instantly loved this one, but I loved it even fucking more this time. I never watched it since 2014 when it came out. Rewatched it this time. Fucking fell in love. It's 2014's It Follows. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy, driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. <laughs> okay. You awake? What are you doing? You're not going to believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. I'm scared. I need to find him. What did he really do to you? Apparently, he used a fake name to rent a house in the city. This isn't real. I swear to you, this is just some game. If it kills her, it gets me. I'm totally on board with you. I, I've i probably bought this maybe the third time I've seen it, so like I've not rewatched it a ton. Um, but I felt compelled to rewatch it again today after watching it a couple days ago because I feel strongly toward it. Um, but... Directed. This movie started a trend, I feel like. Yeah. Of, of like, the throwback, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the fucking synth score. I, the score, I mean, directed by David David uh, Robert Mitchell and score by David Robert Mitchell. Like, uh, well, disaster piece, right? Dude. Yeah. The, 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 again, going back to the sound design, I, I feel holistically the sound design of this film was not as effective as Hereditary, but 
the score of this film was so mm-hmm. integral to the to the presentation. Oh, no doubt. And I was reading uh, all these articles about how in the theatrical release, the music was like forty percent more prominent or like higher, more intense than um, the Blu-ray version. So I, I don't think we saw this in theaters. Did we, we did not, but I no. I would have loved to have seen that. I think me as well. No, this one doesn't get as much credit as a lot of other movies, and, and you touched on this earlier, but it's really the kind of precursor to a lot of those kinds of uh, modern horror movies that we see today, particularly with using that synthesizer music as an overlay, um, to, you know, using um, societal issues as a subtext. Um, so it's not a movie that gets talked out of, about a whole lot, but uh, it's certainly up there for me. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like in horror circles, this movie's huge. Like, especially when it came out, everybody was all up on it. Uh, but then I, like, I was reading into it and reading how, like, you know, it was made for, like, $2 million or something. It grows, I think, worldwide $10 million. And then now to this, to, like, as of 2016, it made, like, $20 million. And it's like, what? Yeah. I feel like this this movie was fucking, like, massive, at least in our circles. Let's hit a quick quick synopsis of the film for those that might not, not have seen it. Um, but uh, it's starring... Micah Monroe, who I did some research and found that's she was, my girl. She's like she's, this, like a, <laughs> like a, Olympic, uh, like a kite flying. What? I did not know this. It's kite so, flying? Not like kite flying, but like when you pair like hang gliding or something. Yeah, that. Okay. She do, did it, and like her father was this like like worldwide acclaimed oh athlete damn. in this sphere. And then she went and followed his footsteps, and she like she got second place in like the world for whatever like whatever Jesus. the Super Bowl of that is like the she, Super Bowl of hang gliding. Yeah, but wow, she, that's crazy. Yeah, I had no idea she she killed it. But she was in my movie, which the guest. Yeah, that's yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Keir Gilchrist is also in this, and um, Olivia. Uh, Lucati, I believe her name is, but the the synopsis of the film is a young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter. Um, so, Anthony, to your point, there's a lot of underlying subtext here to um, social issues, right? So, sexually transmitted diseases, perception, and perception being reality, and and so much of that falls into this. So. Uh, why don't you hit some of your thoughts on this uh, before you know Jamie gives some of so, his? I I think it's a bit of a of a mislabel to say that uh, STDs are what this one is about because I see that a lot and I think that's um, I think that's a little bit too specific and a little bit too um, diluted of what I what I believe it's about. I think it's to me this is about how trauma follows victims and how people who've experienced some sort of trauma think that the only way to overcome it is to pay it forward. So it's not just about passing along. Like that's, I think that's too much of an allegory for, for this movie. I agree. I I also feel like it, the, the community involved in an experience of like mm -hmm. your, 
the perception of whatever your traumatic experience is, is influenced by those around you. So whether it's, Mm -hmm. it's like people talking shit and saying like, oh yeah, no, don't, don't hang out with her. She has an STD or like, oh oh, no, you got to be nice to him. His mom died or, you know, whatever the, whatever the trauma is, like the community or the environment or the, the social structure, I feel like influences the mass perception on, on whatever it is. Like the fact that it's a group of people that are surrounding one person's specific experience. Like, I feel like that is part of this narrative. Yeah. And it's, it's also about continuing a cycle of abuse because like we, like we know from the movie, like this can, this will just come back to get you if, if, like the mon the what the what the entity the monster whatever it is gets the last person it'll come back down the line, and in this movie in particular the trauma is sexual but I think the allegory can hold of trauma can hold in any form in, in, for this movie, but it's also about how victims disassociate from it and how they're viewed by others like you just said and yeah. we learn that the entity can take a form of anyone right we know that it can be someone that you know it can be someone that you love. And it's a metaphor that applies to someone's potential abuser as well. So if we were to watch this movie again with the idea that this entity, this monster, um, can take the form, uh, takes the, the form of abuse victims, right? Anyone that's been abused before or who has been an abuser. And this monster follows people around to continue the cycle of abuse. It becomes all the more disturbing particularly if we start to analyze the people who it has taken form of, you know, it's the monster was a child. It was a grandmother. It was Jay's father. It was Greg's mother and so on and so forth. So, you know, with that in mind, the viewer becomes aware of how we make monsters out of abuse victims and how we blame and shame them. Like you just said, the entire feeling of the movie is about dread and trying to get away from this inevitable cycle. And it's like a cycle of judgment almost. And, mm-hmm. and judgment can the spawn from them at one it, point. exactly and there's the whole idea of voyeurism like even when she's in the pool in the beginning and the kids are over there and she's like ah, i see you fucking around over there um like that just sets the tone of of all right this is this is this is all about other people looking at you or looking in mm-hmm. and making some predetermined whatever um so i i, I completely agree that that that's it's not as literal as it could be interpreted which is like oh this movie's about stds i i i agree with you i don't think it's as simple as that and not just that but it's about how those those same people that are there to support her who also end up trying to take advantage of her as well in her position like these two dudes that she's surrounded with that are trying to help her are also like oh well just you know bang me and i'll take it away from you like Like, that's not a solution. That's you taking advantage of, of a victim. You know, it's like there's, you know, take, you know that. Yeah, she's not safe even amongst her closest allies. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot to unpack in this movie. This this rewatch was huge for me because, uh, and also we don't know, there's a lot of unanswered questions with the father. We don't know what happened with the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, trauma could be stemming from that. We never do see the mother in full. You never really see the mother's face, which is one of those yeah, things Yeah, she's at the really kitchen table yeah. like while they're sitting there watching uh, TV like, for a minute. It's like the nanny from Muppet Babies. Like You never really <laughs> see what she looks like. We're not sure. Charlie Brown. Like, um, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Also, <laughs> so apparently this this movie was written. Uh, David Robert Mitchell wrote this. This was a he used to have a recurring nightmare uh, from his childhood where like he was being constantly followed and chased by this unknown entity. Oh. Um, and that's kind of where this movie stemmed from. But one, one thing you'll notice is like <clears throat> when you watch this, you go like, okay, this is a throwback to the eighties. Uh, but then there's like technology. Apparently they kept this very vague uh-huh. on the time frame on purpose. Like the, sometimes you'll see mm-hmm. modern cars, you'll see cars from the seventies. Uh, every, every TV is a tube TV, but then you see this girl reading books on like a seashell, some sort of a seashell yeah, electronic the, device. Can we talk about that for a moment, please? What the fuck is that? Hey, uh, what book are you reading there? Yeah. And she's just like scrolling it through a like, seashell. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a little e-reader seashell thing. Yeah. But, you know, that's the brilliant thing about this movie is it's complete lack of exposition. There's no explaining explaining anything about the environment. There's no explaining anything about the source of what's happening with this thing that follows anyone and it's just i think it's about trying to make people feel very uncomfortable with everything because even like we don't even know what what season it is they go from being yeah. in a pool and the in the same day being in Wearing winter, winter clothes yeah. winter coats <laughs> yeah. yeah and then they're on the beach like you have no idea when or where this is happening yeah it's all very dreamlike um mm-hmm. and he's super sorry jamie no you're but good he's the uh director um uh david David Robert Mitchell, he's been very, like, I read a million interviews, I fell in a ton of research on this with him, uh, and people just asking, like, well, what what did you mean by this? What did, what was the purpose of that? Like, why this? And he was like, I don't, I'm not going to tell you. Like, yeah. I want you to tell me what your interpretation was. Like, I fed you, you know, the, the, the ingredients, like, you make your own meal from this, basically, is, is what it <laughs> it boiled mm-hmm. down to and it it's and this guy has not done a lot i think he's made like six or seven movies and like this is a film he yeah. made and he's like no like I, I'm, I'm not i'm not trying to get rich from this like this is a movie i made and i'm not i'm not gonna fracture from this i'm not gonna give you what you want like you make from this what you want from it you know what i love about it too is you as a viewer are kind of uh suffering post-traumatic post-traumatic stress as she is and you're wondering and looking at every crowd and every person everywhere they go and like, is he, is he the one? Is she the one? <laughs> is that yeah. person coming for me? Well, the, in the very Anyone end, walking the slow, you know, like there's a scene where they go to the school to try and see like he, who Hugh was. And um, every like student that you see, you're like, oh, holy fuck. Is that the one? That, that, that girl's <laughs> walking a little too slow. Is that her? Um, and it's just like that constant feeling of like dread in public. But to, to the point from earlier, though, Anthony, I, I feel like thematically from the, the movies that you selected, um, this was the one, I guess, that departed from the more, like, macabre sort of traditional, like, uh, Dracula's castle sort of feel. But I, I, yeah. do, I do feel strongly that, like, again, theme and setting was important here. And, Jamie, you just hit it. I think it was a Detroit suburb or something. It was, yeah. That this was filmed. Yeah. Um, but the honesty and integrity and reality of these filming locations, like that that space that you just referenced, even their home or like the condition of the pool that she's in or the bug on her forearm in that pool, like the reality of that is it's reality, you know, like you felt like, oh, if I were in a, a parking lot, yeah, there are weeds in the cracks. It's not a pristine, you know. 
Also, yeah, it's, the, it's interesting the cast that they picked, though, like the all younger cast, mostly unknown people. And, you know, like this one, like the other movies we'll talk about is that they're all relatable on a certain level where you you watch the movie and you're like, what would I do in that situation? So yeah. you can kind of empathize <laughs> yeah. with Jane in a certain way where she's trying to tell these people like this is happening, but you can't see it and they don't believe her. And it's very frustrating. You know, it's a lot a lot of like what victims of abuse go through like they try to tell people like like you believe me this is happening and like people just can't see it so they don't believe it or understand it yeah also can we talk about that uh not the very opening scene but just the scene where they have sex he took this way too fucking far you could have just said like hey i passed this thing on to you like someone's gonna chase you You don't have to fucking chloroform her and tie her to a fucking chair in the middle of this warehouse what what in the actual fuck? Which is and why I say they you go, want to go to the movies with this guy? No fucking way. Then they go yeah. and visit him, and they're all sitting around while he's in his sweatpants, sitting Indian style. Just get, like no, fuck this guy. Oh, yeah, that Jesus. was that was. I mean, they didn't wait. They they had just finished, right? That's what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he abducts her. He, like, he spends way too much time in his fucking trunk. I don't know what the guy did. He's like building Legos back there, and then gets a chloroform, but. Yeah, he, he could have easily have hair. just like taken her thereafter. His facial hair is horrible in that. Yeah, no, you. It, but I think that he says I'm doing this to like make you see. But you could have just said like she still didn't. She <laughs> she still didn't get it. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But but I think that that he went goes from back being a dick to, to like committing a felony. <laughs> right, but I think that goes back to like he was a victim of abuse somehow. Yeah, and that's yeah. his own. That's the only way he knows how to communicate. Like that's the he just knows how to pass that same abuse forward. It's that cycle of abuse that we talked about earlier. So you're right. He did the wrong thing a hundred percent. But like we can attribute that to the things that have happened to him to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also, can we assume that he had already passed this on and thought it was gone? And the I'm assuming Annie from the very beginning was the girl that he had passed it on to to begin with. And then she died, mm, so I never comes back. That. And so when they're in the movie theater, he thinks he's done. He thinks he's clear. Mm. He sees the girl in the yellow dress. He says, you know, they're doing that oh, stranger game. Well, yeah. He says the girl in the yellow dress, and then she's like, what girl? I don't see a girl. And that's when he realizes, oh, fuck. Yeah. Annie must have huh. died. This is back on me now. I have to pass this Good on again. I, I think he had already thought he was clear. He actually wanted to start a relationship with Jay. Um, and then he kind of realized, okay, I'm fucked. I have to pass this on again. But thank God I still have the, the chloroform in my trunk. Yeah, because, thank God I kept yeah. that on hand. Yeah. <laughs> I never even thought of that. But yeah, that's that, that's totally... That that makes a lot of sense because it then makes that character a little bit more important at the beginning of the movie, right? Right. As opposed to just setting the setting the tone for the movie. For sure. God damn, um, Jamie's swooping in here with some uh, deep shit, man. And the last note that I had was the similarities between... So, apparently, he was very influenced uh, from John Carpenter and George Romero. Yeah. I and mean, the scene where she's in her college class, and she's in the sitting in the lecture, looks out, sees the old woman naked walking towards her, is the similarities between Jamie Lee Curtis looking yeah, out and, and seeing yeah. Michael. Yeah. Of course. All right. Um... Anthony, you want you, you get uh, introducing this one? Yeah, I don't have an IMDb summary in front of me, but I will say um, and admit that I really fucked up with this movie because I didn't originally see it in a theater, which I normally do for almost every horror movie. 
and I'm not even sure why I missed it in the theaters, but I totally regret it. But um, when it came out on iTunes, it was the only movie I've ever watched twice in a row, back to back. Like, as soon as the first one ended, I put it right back on because, you know, once the whole kind of plan, like the whole scheme or plot of the movie was revealed, I needed... I knew immediately that I needed to rewatch it so that I could pick up on all of the stuff that I missed in the first half of the movie because this movie is so rich with subtext and symbolism that it can be watched over and over again and endlessly analyzed. I completely agree. So this is 2017, directed by Jordan Peele, and the film is... Get out! You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meet families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> <laughs> we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. Get out! <laughs> Get out! Get out! Yeah, I mean, and someone tried to yell that to uh, to our main buddy Chris here, and uh, he he did not. Well, he he got out, but he didn't <laughs> upon the first warning. Um, so this is starring Daniel, uh, Kaluuya. I hope I pronounce his name properly. Um, Allison Williams, and then uh, Bradley Whitford, and then my absolute motherfucking favorite character in this film. Uh, Rod. Rod uh, is played by <laughs> Lil Ray Howery, and God, it just like everyone has a friend like that, and everyone it, who doesn't have a friend like that should, because you're lucky to have a person that cares for you that way. No doubt. Uh, such a great character. But the the basic premise of this film is a young African American man visits his uh his girlfriend's parents' house, uh, and they're like a very white affluent family. And uh, they go for the weekend, and it's really a horror version of of Guess Who's Coming to, to Dinner, really, is kind of like the premise of the film. So, mm-hmm. um, I, just to kick things off, I'll just note the establishing shot um, is really, really effective. Y- you feel the environment of this uh, this this man who's being, like misrepresented essentially this african-american man walking through this suburban neighborhood like it kind of feels like the beginning of friday 13th part two where it's this like dark neighborhood and people are splashing through puddles and you feel like very uneasy or unsettled uh and it feels like or or even like haddonfield it's like this this suburban area and then um it takes the twist that that kind of like foreshadows the film um, but the establishing shot, I think, is very powerful to kind of like lead us in. But uh, Anthony, 
why don't you bring us into this movie a little bit, man? Like, what uh, what yeah. do you love about it? So this was really surprising for me, and I think for everyone really, is that the director, Jordan Peele, who is most known for doing comedy, did this horror movie. And I think it really subverted people's expectations of what they were going to see in this film. But like you just mentioned about picking up on those Nightmare on Elm Street and Haddonfield-type vibes, what we really discovered in this movie was that Jordan Peele is a massive horror aficionado and expert, not just with Get Out, but and we don't need to get into Us necessarily, which was basically an ode to every horror movie ever made. So um, good. The details, yeah, the details that he puts into these movies, like if you're a horror fan, like his movies and everything monkey paw does his production company should be a hundred percent up your alley because it's just basically aside from the, the black experience and the soci, the society um, uh, subtext of the movie. Like these are just horror nerd fantasy type movies. That is just, I think everyone was super blown away by uh, after seeing get out uh, for the first time and then seeing us, uh, after that, um, and he's really truly like a master of of horror, and I I can't wait to see the next thing he does. Um, yeah, and I feel like Chris's character, like if you the so in talking about these, I I think heading into this conversation when you picked these three films, uh, I was like, oh, it follows is my favorite of them, and then rewatching them, I left feeling that this is my my favorite of the three that you selected and I felt so strongly toward the idea of Chris's character kind of being disarmed constantly through the dialogue because he's so quiet and um uh you know Daniel it's it's so well acted his Chris's character is so well acted that you you look at and you acknowledge that this this character has just been so like he's almost desensitized to the idea of like Right. Yeah. No. This is what I expected. This is what I expected. This is what I expected. And it it, it starts <laughs> with the scene with the police officer, and then evolves to the scene with the family, and then the fucking brother. Can we talk about that guy for a second? What I hated a that guy. Bag of human shit. He <laughs> uh, also very well acted because clearly the intent was to hate that human being, and uh, yeah his stupid mustache and everything like <laughs> also horrible to look not at. to bag on people who love the ufc but i always picture <laughs> like that kind of guy uh to be the kind of guy that loves ufc i'm sorry to alienate was, any yeah. listeners that love ufc but the, to me that's always like what comes to mind is like the ufc guy yeah well it's really interesting because he was such an outlier from the rest of his family wasn't he like everyone else seemed pretty like you know cordial enough and so he was maybe he's like, just he's the one who can't muscle, hold really. it in good enough well so i i yeah. have my, my my summation notes i wanted to hit kind of toward the end but i think now's the relevant time to bring it up but i feel like the entire point of this film to me at least is that um that like racism and discrimination is an inherited thing and it's mm-hmm it's surgical it's unnatural it's implanted and like that it that has a physical manifestation that evolves through this film toward the end 
but I feel like this is like when you uh, breed too many uh, bloodlines close together, like that, the son is the byproduct of like, oh, he is the abomination that like really hypes up the intent of what it is we're trying to accomplish here, which is this fucked up thing. And he is this like unmanageable, uncontainable thing that was like created not he's a product of, product fully of his environment not of, of he wasn't born that way he was developed to be that way from this shit environment essentially yeah but also like they're all representative of the different ways that racism can be extremely subtle and manipulative and sometimes it can be very forward and outright and very aggressive so I think he's just kind of like the embodiment of like one type of yeah. racism. Exactly. That, yeah. That, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, I agree with that. One, so a detail that I really liked about this movie, aside from like all the endless things that we can analyze about the story was in a similar way to how sound was used in hereditary. I think the, the costume design in this one specifically with how they used color uh, which is, you know, apropos in a movie with a subtext about racism, but, you know, the use of color, I think, is really interesting in this one. And it's very, very subtle, and it's very, very intentional. But they used the color of their of their outfits to signal alliances and conflicts between characters. So, like, in the beginning, Chris and Rose are both wearing blue, and then they, as the movie progressive, Chris starts wearing, is still wearing blue, but then Rose is wearing this weird, like, where's Waldo red and white kind of get up. Yeah. yeah and then towards sure. the end of the movie, she's all in red. So signifying that she's like fully exposed now. And like, like even like Andre, um, the guy that was originally abducted at the beginning of the movie, like he has got that silly, like, um, pork pie hat. Yeah. And like yeah. that has like a small blue strip at the top of it just to kind of like signify that part of him is still there. And yeah. like there's small like nuances of the characters subverted racism represented in, in their clothes at that party that they were at, um, at his parents at her parents' house, where everyone's wearing some form of black or white and everyone has like tiny red accents that's like representative of you know, red is a representative color of the, like, secret societies, but also, like, evil in this context as well. So I think, like, like sure. just those details that aren't super overt are just these visual cues that after you watch the movie and now you know about, you go back and you start to, like, pick them out and be like, oh, my God, they was telling me this entire time and I never picked up on it. That's something I never noticed. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I also never noticed that. Can we for one moment talk about the comedic relief of uh of rod he's amazing and he adds that tone that you really need um to kind of keep this from being just a terribly depressing movie so my favorite line of his though uh when rod is with the police and he he says like they're making them sex slaves and shit oh i'm sorry about the shit <laughs> T.S. motherfucking A. Yeah, T.S. motherfucking A. Yeah, we handled <laughs> that, that was the thing that I didn't really get in this one, was, like, why were they... Well, it has such a hard on for T.S.A. in this. I couldn't tell if it was a joke or if they were trying to give props to T.S.A. for some reason. That's the, the only thing that I was like, what is with the T.S.A.? And I, I had a similar curiosity to that, and I, I, I settled on the fact that, like, 
Jordan Peele must have a friend that works as a TSA agent and just <laughs> Jordan Peele, Key and Peele was the skit show that they did before, and they both for some reason they they love the TSA. They've always appreciated them, and they did many skits oh, okay. about the TSA back when they had their show Key and Peele, and they it was always like different TSA agents in like different environments. All right, well, that must be the the <laughs> illusion then. What well, about, I guess it also uh, makes sense because at the at the very end of the movie when the cop car pulls up, I'm assuming like they wanted you to think that it was, you know, they wanted you to think that was the police and that that was ending badly for him because of what we know about police, but it ended up being a TSA vehicle. Like, yeah. Yeah, he puts his Yeah, hands so maybe up. it was just a long punchline. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'll say the only scene that didn't work for me, you already referenced it in a good light, I, is the detective, is when he goes to the police. That's a scene that doesn't work for me. I feel like that's overly comedic when it shouldn't be. Oh, yeah, okay. Like, I'm not, That part that he... When he is talking to them, that is very funny. But, like, their reactions and, like, them... Her bringing those people in and, like... I, I get that it's supposed to be kind of, like... We don't take this it's like home black alone, man's report like, seriously. Uh, but, like, but I just felt like it was... I don't know. It, it didn't work for me. Well, I think uh, I think that's... It's... it's The tone changed when he, he first said, My boy's missing. And she was like, Your son is missing. And she took that very seriously. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then when he was like, My friend is missing. I think she took that as... It could have been interpreted a couple of ways. Like, oh, like, you know, your friend's probably out doing something he just didn't tell you. Or it could also mean just how unsympathetic police have been about, you know, black people in general. Um, so even even though the officer was black herself, so like that, that could have been interpreted that way as well. But I think like it's just supposed to be like some comedic levity. Um, like John said earlier, just to kind of lighten the mood a bit from the rest of like how super intense the rest of the movie is. For sure. No, but I feel like Rod is already that, and I feel like that interaction went from, and I feel like that's exactly what he was going for. Um, I I could be totally wrong, but I feel like what you said, the second point you made is what he was going for, where it's kind of like that Mm -hmm. disregarding, you know, your... Yeah, right. But I, I don't know, and I'm... I'm not saying it was, you know, bad or anything. It just didn't work for me. Did you think of going to hell, Jamie? Because yeah. I love the part. That's where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that right. I actually, I'm just sitting Did here. Did you guys ever see the? <laughs> he crossed his <laughs> arms. <laughs> like fuck you. <laughs> Did you ever see the alternate ending to this? By the way. I no, but I I heard what it was, and I don't want to see it. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't go with this, but it is right. on the the DVD or digital. Like you can view the original ending to it. Um, but the but if you haven't seen it, it's the cops do actually show up at the end, and Chris gets arrested, which you know I feel like was way too expected and way too bleak, like for a movie that's already su- super bleak. So no, I, c- I couldn't deal with it. Yeah, that, that would, <laughs> that's that's a heavy ending to a because this is one of those films where you feel. Uh, most certainly culpable and complicit in in the violence that he incites because like you're rooting for him to actually kill people at least i was like when he hits the fucking kid with the bocce ball in the head i'm like get him three more times like it's that thing you and i always talk about where you're, yeah. you're complicit in the murder at that point yeah. where you're like kill and, him yeah and you're like kill him. no but kill him a little harder <laughs> yeah and 
Dude, Keep going. Are you sure you don't want to make him cry before he dies? Like, you, you, you feel yeah. like yeah. you get like ramped up in the moment, right? Um, but this, this, I feel this film like certainly exposes that and, and flirts with that. And it definitely like it confronts that concept at the end because he's, he, you know, he's choking her and he's like, then he backs off and it's like, I'm not the monster that you are. And it's a very settling like, oh, I've come to peace moment. And if at that moment he were to be arrested by the police, it would be like, I'll never love again. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What about scenes for you guys? I mean, I, I, I think the most memorable for me was with the police. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that initial like hypnosis scene, um, that's like the, the money shot of the film mm-hmm. too. Like when, uh, he's he's teary-eyed yeah um that that initial because that's the that's the scene that is the i feel like the 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 top of the mountain where you start to you know fall down the other side sure uh, where you realize things are not what what they should be um so i feel like that's a very very impactful scene so i i think that would be mine there's there's two for me and they happen around the same time and they were both at the party when they first when he's getting introduced to all of her parents' friends and they're asking these really racist and uncomfortable questions about like, how's your swing? I knew tiger. And like, Oh, is it, yeah. is it true? Is it better? Like all these, really, cause that's when you start to like, think about, okay, something's going on here and it's very fucking weird and we don't know what it is yet. And then what happens after when Chris goes upstairs and everyone just goes silent and that, then you're like, oh shit! Yeah. Now That's something. an effective scene. This is really fucked up. Very effective. Yeah. For me, the the most effective scene, and this one will always stick with me, even on this second watch. Still, is when he's outside smoking the cigarette, and the grandpa comes running, fucking straight at him, and he's running <laughs> oh. straight at you as well. And it's like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. It's so effective. It was so There's effective. Some really to weird me. fucking shit in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all all of the encounters that he has with both he and um, I can't remember the character's name, but the woman who's who's working as like the oh Georgina or Georgiana. Yeah, yeah. yeah Georgina. Mm-hmm. Um, all the encounters he has with them are so like when she comes up and she's talking to him about the phone, like, Hey, I'm sorry about the misinterpretation. And she's like laughing. And they all make so much sense when you rewatch it. This is a perfect, Ooh. as you already mentioned, Anthony, this is a perfect rewatch film because and, and you're right. As soon as it ends, you're like, I, I want to watch this again. Yeah. Cause I, like I missed so much shit, but the scene when he opens like the little door right before their the big reveal yep. and he opens the little door and finds the red box with like, all of her, you know, former boyfriends and like sees Andre and yeah. that. Oh my god, dude! It's like I wanted to run out of my own house when I fucking watch that scene. <laughs> well, thank you for for encouraging us to watch this again under a more uh, critical lens. And I, I, I feel like we we cannot and did not do the conversation the full justice no. that it deserves. However, um, just our humble take on yeah, from our yeah. our humble you know, honest perspective as, as people that give a shit, which I think all, all three of us do uh, about making the world a better place. Like this movie, you know, firmly puts a stake in the ground and, and making an attempt at that. And I feel hopefully that Jordan Peele, again, I know you're listening, Jordan, uh, Jordan. So yeah, <laughs> I guess we could pencil you in somewhere in the fall. Um, 
just text me. I know you have my number. Just my assistant will give it to you. Um, but it's uh, me. Assistant. My assistant, Jamie. Uh, but I, I hope we did some justice to to the film and kind of talking about it in in a way that um, it was intended. So great pick, Anthony. Oh, thank you. Well, let's bring it home. So, Anthony, three hundred million thank yous for for doing this. Uh, again, we love your work and. Um, sincerely uh, appreciate the the challenge you put in front of us in, in picking some movies that typically we wouldn't talk about and making us look at them in a different way. And I I feel like a better person um, here on Friday than I than I did you know last Friday uh, after watching these three films uh, over the course of the week. So uh, thanks for the challenging assignment and great conversation, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I think we talked about some real specific things about the movies that most people wouldn't pick up on. So I think that's uh, super interesting. I'm always happy to talk about horror movies endlessly. So thanks for thanks for having me on there. I really appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>